This last week we've seen that stress in the banking system is far from over. Breaking this morning, First Republic Bank has become the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. Regulators have seized the bank, sold off most of its assets to J.P. Morgan Chase in a rescue deal as America's banking crisis flares up again. Then midweek, rates went up again. Regional banks selling off once again today as investors worry about another potential bank failure. The move lower coming despite comments that we heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell's yesterday and his efforts to calm banking sector jitters. The U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode, we're talking about how these financial collapses, these jitters and this uncertainty is having a practical impact in the business of doing real estate. In a moment, we're hearing from Ron Zeff, the CEO of Carmel Partners, a multifamily player in New York, Honolulu, Northern California, Southern California, Seattle and Washington, D.C. First, though, I caught up with Shlomi Ronan. He's the managing principal of Dekel Capital, a merchant banking firm based in LA. They raise debt and equity to middle market investors and developers, and they also have a private equity platform. He's surprised at how actions of the regulators have not had a calming effect on the market, and he saw firsthand the impact of First Republic's demise. So we were, we were actually um, in the midst of a deal um, where they were going to provide construction financing on a on a project and we were going to step in and provide uh preferred equity on that same deal and um ultimately the deal imploded a because of the concerns that we had over the sustainability and the you know the sustainability of the bank we don't want to step into a deal where we weren't sure that our construction lender we weren't we hadn't we didn't have 100% confidence that our construction lender would actually fund their construction loan obligation. And then second, um, they also, as a result of um, their downgrade and, and other capital issues that they were having, had to come back and restructure and reprice the, uh, the terms of, of the deal that they were providing. And, and then again, that had a significant impact on the um on the returns of the deal and um, ultimately so killed the how deal. how quickly did that happen? Are we talking hours, days? How fast does something like that unravel? So, um, you know, the initial concerns came up when um, Signature Bank went under and um, we all of a sudden saw the uh, the st- stock price of First Republic, so so that raised the flag. Then we tried to structure around it, and um, felt like we had something in place where it could still get done. But ultimately, the day that they came back and said, you know, we're we have to uh, change, increase your rate by 200 basis points, and this was a construction of perm. So this was a loan that um, us and the borrower were going to live with for a very long time. And so um, the rates ended up being at, at a level that just didn't make sense for. And for was the that project. ground up multifamily? It was ground up multifamily and what's yeah, in Los to Angeles. That proposed project. It's still going to move forward. They had another proposal on the table from a private lender. So you saw you saw the writing on the wall quite a while ago with First Republic. Then it would not have come as much of a surprise. What happened? 
it, it was not a surprise. I mean, look, it, it hasn't. The, the banks have not been lending actively since twelve months ago. The regional banks um, and the regional and national banks, actually, in general, they've all been on the sidelines for all intents and purposes. Are there other deals that might be in in a similar position to this one? Do you think? Uh, I'm sure there were other deals in in, in process. Um, mm. the, the fact that they've they've been taken over by J.P. Morgan, um, if you know, at least in in the western half of the U.S., um, won't change much because J.P. Morgan has been very very active in apartment lending. Um, they're one of the, they've uh, you know they acquired in the last downturn they acquired uh, Washington Mutual, which was one of the uh, premier providers of fixed rate financing to small and medium sized apartment owners in in the western half of the US, uh, primarily California. Mm -hmm. And that business has continued. And so um, the fact that they actually stepped in and picked up First Republic may not create an issue from a uh, capital availability standpoint, because they're already in that business. And um, can continue to service those clients. A lot of those borrowers actually already had relationships with both banks. I know m multiple um, investors that are uh, that were borrowers of J.P. Morgan, but kept all their deposits at First Republic because of the relationship and the relationship lending that for the the service that that First Republic offered. And now their uh, their uh, their their banks have merged. Do you think we're out of the woods or is there still a lot of instability in the sector? The, the issue is not a um, um, asset quality issue that, that, that we're seeing. And, and we saw that in, in the uh, earnings report that uh, Pacific Western Bank published yesterday. Um, they're profitable. So, and, and so the issue is, uh, is a confidence issue. Uh, with both their depositors and um, their investors. Are you having to calm? So, are you having to calm nerves with your clients? Has that been a big part of your work over the last six weeks or so? We've had yes, we've definitely had. It's only it's it's everybody. Um, it's clients. It's friends. It's a it's a topic of conversation at at uh, dinner parties and. Uh, social gatherings in terms of, hey, you know, I've got money at First Republic Bank. Should I be, should I be worried about it? Um, or so, so that's, and, and it's again, very interesting. Um, we've had two major bank failures. Uh, in both instances, the federal government essentially came in and said, you depositors, it doesn't matter whether you've got a dollar in the bank or $10 million in the bank, your, your deposits are safe. And um, there's, a, there, there's a disconnect between that and what is really happening on, on, at the ground level where we, we did see and are seeing some depositors continue to uh, move their money. 
out of these regional banks and, and into the, uh, the larger institutions. The Fed raised interest rates again last week, um, now having raised them by 5% in just over a year. But uh, Chair Jerome Powell says he's going to look at the data going forward and, and signalling that was that the rate rises could possibly be over. Um, how did you read the news last week and, and how does that kind of impact de- deals that you're working on or planning to work on? Definitely good news in terms of uh, the fact that they're thinking of stopping. Um, again, I think that the realities that we're seeing and, and feeling um, are different than the data that, that they're getting. And, and that's really a function of the data lag that uh, or the lag that's in the data that, that they're looking at. So, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of on the same page, essentially expecting them to, to slow down. Uh, and we'll see, you know, it, it essentially what has happened is um, the, the cost of capital, the new cost of capital, especially short-term borrowing, right? Because that's what we're, what the Fed funds rate increases are, are uh, impacting. Um, is 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 higher and and so you have to capitalize that into projects and without a clear picture of of when they're going to start reducing rates i think people are still going to have uh continue to capitalize um the current levels of of rates into their into their projects which you know these investment development projects you're looking at a two to three year window so so nobody is expecting a rate well, no one's baking in a rate pause as yet, would you say? I mean, you, you could be baking in a rate pause, but you're, I think you would have a lot of people raise eyebrows if you were to show them a performer that showed uh, rates decreasing significantly um, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. That may be an upside case that somebody runs, but I think the, uh, the base case that you're going to run on, a, on an investment is that uh, rates are going to remain largely unchanged. What sorts of deals are you looking for now that you might not have been looking for, say, a year and a half ago? How has it adapted the sorts of things that you're after? So right now we're really um, trying to take advantage of the dislocation in, in the credit markets. So where before we, we really had to take last dollar equity risk in order to get um, relatively healthy risk-adjusted returns. Today, we, we are looking at the uh, mezzanine and preferred equity space and um, finding opportunities to, um, to get equity-like returns in and taking debt-like uh, risk on deals. So that's where we're seeing a lot of opportunity and expect there to be continued opportunity in the next couple of years. So that's really been our focus. What about geographically speaking? I mean, I know you're based in LA, but it really does seem like California and the Bay Area in particular has been like the epicenter of a lot of instability in the financial markets this year. Um, are you active in San Francisco or Silicon Valley at all? And what's that environment like? We, we, we haven't been active in San Francisco, but we have been active in, in other parts of the country. And I'd say that um the instability that's happening in 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 the capital markets is uh is discriminating geographically so it's gonna you know the the rates in california are just as high as they are in texas and florida and other places that have seen really strong fundamental growth and the challenges that um 
uh, investors, developers are either facing today or going to be facing um, in the near future are the same. Back on the uh, the regional bank issue, is there a bank that you have got your eye on as in trouble next? Do you think? I know that we don't want to generate. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't perpetuate that. Um, I think that. The, is that a valid question, though? I mean, is that things that think people are thinking? People about? are thinking about it and and trying to figure it out. I mean, if if you just if you just search, uh, um, you know, I searched yesterday on Twitter. On Twitter, I searched just <laughs> Pack West just to see what's what what the Twitterverse is is thinking. Plenty of um, talking heads like putting posts of with names of banks and and kind of trying to predict who's who's next on on that list. And I think that's um, again just creating um, creating unnecessary uh, uh, panic. We're seeing some unfounded panic that um, needs to be constrained by. The regulators and the, and the government, to, because banking at the end of the day is um, is is a business of confidence. And if um, if your depositors don't have confidence, then um, like investors, they have they have options elsewhere. And as we've seen, it's very easy to move money around. Yeah, have you ever done business in an environment like this where confidence can be so quickly? chiseled away i guess it's not, not. This, I mean... is, this is all new this is all new you know just mm. like the, the 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 pace at which i think in general just the technology that we have today um the pace at which change is occurring is um historic it's really and so we were just uh remaining liquid and and looking for opportunities that's Shlomi Ronan from Decal Capital. I spoke to him on Thursday afternoon, just as shares of the banks like PacWest were plummeting. By Friday, though, those shares were trading back up. But even so, PacWest finished the week down 43%, and Western Alliance, which says they are not seeking a sale, was down 27%. Ron Zeff, the CEO of Carmel Partners, says the notion out there that this isn't over yet is adding to the anxiety. There's just a lot of uncertainty uh, out there, and this doesn't help uh, at all. And, um, you know, it's very hard to predict where this is going to go. Um, I think the notion that this is not the end of it is what's making people nervous. I believe that regardless of whether it's the end of these regional banks going out of business, they are going to have more scrutiny from the Fed, and there's a lot of fear uh, in, in those banks, and they're going to cut back on their uh, real estate lending. Um, did you have to pull any deposits or anything from First Republic? Did you did you adjust your any of your interactions with the banks? I did. Just I had some personal accounts there. I don't I don't have any loans there, um, but yeah, I was quick to reduce it to uh, below 250 for my accounts. Uh, but, you know, I know that bank and, you know, they, on the underwriting side, I think they've always been really conservative. I, I don't imagine very few of those loans will go bad that JP Morgan bought. Um, and so on their underwriting side, their credit side, I think my impression is it's a well-run bank. 
obviously somebody was making not recognizing the risks of having all these long dated loans and and uh, etc but uh, I think it'll probably be a good deal for JP Morgan. What do you what do you prioritize as a CEO when you have a week like this? A week of and I guess six weeks almost of, of very um, complex uncertainty and a, as you say a kind of rising risk or concern about a recession. So you know, being in the multifamily business is as uh, a godsend. I'm really glad I'm not in the office business. Um, we do have the agencies, Fannie and Freddie, uh, that are active lenders and uh, in the market. So if you actually have cash flow, you can finance it. Um, what was going on is people were buying very low cap rates with plans to upgrade the apartments and get to another level. And if they put short-term debt on it, they're really uh, in trouble. So. Um, you know, I always take the long-term approach to the things we own and what we're what we're trying to invest in, and try not to get too worried about what's going to happen in the short term. As long as we're financing these things in a way that can get us through what's going on today, I've been through these cycles before, and uh, you know, it's very interesting. So in the last in the GFC, right the the whole banking system was at risk. And so that caused the federal government to really push the banks to be more conservative. So while they printed a lot of money, at the same time, they significantly reduced the velocity in the system. That's what I think prevented inflation. This time, they printed even more money, and they didn't get around the money center banks till last year around this time to stop lending uh, and the retail banks run wild. Uh, so now they're trying to reverse it by cranking rates and and now I think cracking down the banking system. So they're doing a combo that I think could easily lead to a recession, although, you know, who knows. We got to prepare, be prepared for more inflation and, and a recession. Stagflation is the biggest risk to any Class. Are you feeling more like there's going to be a recession than you were, say, two weeks ago or three weeks ago? <laughs> have you become increasingly less positive or have you been thinking like this for a while? Well, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, but we, we have to be prepared for whether there's going to be a recession or not and uh, whether there's inflation and interest rates may stay longer, higher for longer. People like apartments, presumably, as an inflation hedge because, in theory, this idea is that you, people are on 12-month leases and you can raise rents to keep up with inflation, which, over the long run, you know, five-year time frame, 10-year time frame might be true, but the only ability to raise rent is entirely re related to local supply and demand. And if you have a lot of supply in your market, which is about to hit the sunbelt, um, and at the same time, there's like a wall of supply coming to the Sun Belt. At the same time, the job growth is really slowed from the pandemic period. And so you can see what's going to happen there. It's going to get overbuilt and they're not going to have pricing pressure. But if they have a 10-year time horizon, right, you know, eventually they'll get there.
Let's talk about the specifics of some of the things you've done recently. Like you're very active, obviously, in multifamily in all the major markets. Um, but if we look at New York, for example, last year you made a very big acquisition in Long Island City. Um, Wells Fargo provided the loan, as far as I understand, a $300 million loan. How would financing something like that go today versus, say, a year ago, um, considering this banking crisis, considering these interest rates? Well, that was a, it was a $500 million I apologize, loan, a $500 million loan. <laughs> so what's happening is um, spreads are higher and, um, and you know, loan proceeds are, are less. So that's the difference. Um, that deal was particularly strong and still looks very strong because the, you know, the appraised loan to value was so much lower than the actual loan to cost because of the value creation that we have there and the expiring 421A gives people a lot of confidence in that, what, what we're going to have at the end of the day there. Um, so, but yeah, we have other deals we're financing right now uh, in New York and that's exactly what's happening is higher spreads. So it's just costing more, I guess. Yeah, and then with higher rates, now Long Island City, at least at this point, it looks like we have enough contingency that we'll be able to get through that. So we, we tend to use a lot of contingencies in our projects so and have reserves behind it. Uh, but if you had you know, construction overruns, which you can have on top of that, we're finding that we have some projects that have had some overruns. Uh, I think the worst one right now is about projected to be about a three percent overrun in total cost. Not not the end of the world, but but uh, actually that's. So how does that affect how you're approaching loans? Are you mean are you adjusting the the location? Are you taking a pause? No, we're we're putting more equity. So like you can you can borrow at at least Carmel. You know banks right now are only working with their customers they have relationships with and even then they're being very conservative and so the the replacement money that's available to push your leverage is to go to a debt fund and the debt funds are lending at at least 200 uh, basis points more sometimes more than that than uh, the banks but they'll give you more proceeds and if you calculate the marginal cost of that additional proceeds, you're borrowing at uh, like 14, 15% over the current rate, which is 20%, more than 20%. So we'd rather put more equity in than borrow at 20% in that part of the capital stack. I'm amazed that people are borrowing at those rates right now. Uh, I think it's, uh, doesn't make sense, right, to put equity behind that kind of leverage, but people are taking it. I was just about to ask you if this provided an opportunity for you in the debt space. We've looked at it pretty hard, and I think there's some very capable debt providers that are more aggressive than, than we would be. <laughs> we, we manage risk through control and let someone else have control and stick in a mezzanine piece sounds very risk risky to me. So for you, it's mainly just about putting more equity into the deals that you're already after that already makes sense to you from a development and acquisition perspective. Yeah, I mean, the, 
some of the de deals that we bought um, that we haven't started on. I mean, all the deals right now, if, if you take current uh, yields, um, they're, they look okay because we ran exit cap rates substantially higher than current cap rates, but they're pretty much flat. So if we were re-underwriting them today, we would have them be even higher. So they don't look as, the margins look smaller than they were, but because we have substantial margins, I don't, I think we're, we look like we're still gonna make money, just not as much. And um, if things return to some level of normalcy, then they should turn out quite well. Much has been made of the fact that there's nearly 1.5 trillion of US commercial real estate loans coming due before 2025. How do you expect that's going to play out considering these banks collapsing? I think it's going to be uh, increasingly uh, difficult to get loans from banks and traditional sources. Um, I think the space is going to fill with debt funds and people like that and they're going to have to fill that space and um, and as as you you know we're global we have lps on a global basis and you know they're very interested in the debt side right now because it looks you know very lucrative and if you have the right manager i think it, it, it probably will be for at least a couple of years people can make a lot of mistakes that they do People can make a lot of mistakes. What kind of mistakes? I just think about, you know, when you make a mezzanine loan or a preferred equity loan, particularly on an office building, you don't control the, the decision making, right? The, the owner does. And um, in an office building, you have to invest in TIs and commissions. And, and if you don't have um, the money, right? You can, you can definitely screw up an asset pretty badly. An apartment building, you have 12-month leases, so you can get through if you have to take it over. But office building seems to me you're taking your equity risk with a cap on your return. So that's what's keeping you away from that debt space in a particularly risky way. Well, no, I just find that there are people who are willing to take more risks than, I, than we would uh, on the debt side even a multifamily people are making construction loans well if you have to take over a, a, a project that's half built it's a disaster it's going to cost you as much as to build the whole building from scratch and i think a lot of debt funds don't realize that yeah i have to say that people have talked a lot about how this is debt funds big moment <laughs> maybe not then <laughs> well there are some really good managers and so like i invest with uh, personally with some of the good managers that I trust. Um, but it really matters who, you're, who you go with, I think. And you can tell they all have going to have a big legacy of problem loans, right? And how big that problem is and how they manage through it will tell you a lot. And also how they are about what, what they are. How many people today, I think, are both on multifamily and office aren't writing things down to what you can sell them for. And we have, we have written them down and some of our investors are like, wow. I know you probably wouldn't want to name names or anything, but are there particular loan, uh, particular deals that you've seen recently where you're like, wow, that's going to be, that's a big risk. That's, that could go, that could go bad. I would say almost all these construction loans, um, and some of them are with questionable borrowers and it's, 
And I'm sure the ones they did previously, they might be getting back right now. Multifamily really has been held up as this standout asset class, as you say, and you said, you, you know, it's a godsend that you're in multifamily, but values for those properties are down as well. Do you expect there to be distress among some multifamily owners this year who bought at the top of the market um, with short-term debt? Yeah, for sure. And um, the question is, is how is that handled, right? Are, are there going to be any forced sellers or is the, the short-term debt is with a debt fund then, or a bank, you know, and then is it in their interest to take the properties back if they're underwater on their number? Or are they just going to try to extend it and hope things get better? Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, with the worst properties and the worst borrowers, you know, those will, those will come first. That's what happened last time. And, you know, those probably take a while to get priced below the debt. And so when does that opportunity come up and who's a forced seller? Even if the debt funds take it over, they don't want to mark it down yet. So I'm not sure there's going to be, because there is debt from Fannie and Freddie, just may, may, may not be enough to take it out or won't be. And um, there's a lot of money on the sidelines looking to buy that stuff. So I'm not sure that there's gonna be any big bargains. Let's talk about the Sunbelt for a minute. I mean, people have spoken about the Sunbelt like it's you know the greatest thing ever and that's where everyone wants to be. Hey, just look at the numbers, right? There's a wall of supply of both single family and multifamily. People forget about single family and those homes are selling. So they're all those people that have moved there, right? They're, some of them are getting out of the rental market and buying homes. And there's so many units being built. Um, and it, the supply chain interruptions from the pandemic really limited the ability to add that supply, drug out construction timelines and it was hard to get these projects going. Um, and so they're all hitting now over the next two or three years. At the same time, the demand from the pandemic is slow. You know, that the, 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 the fast growing markets right now for rental growth are the, uh, the, are the coasts and the, and the pandemic hit hard markets. They're coming back like New York, the strongest. And, uh, so, you know, you're already seeing rents decline in Phoenix and Austin and Atlanta, and this is, the supply is still just starting. Now, the, the, the good news from a long-term standpoint is this financial crisis is going to make it so, especially on the regional banks, they're probably not going to start lend to too many new projects. So beginning now, which is the middle of 23, new starts are going to stop or reduce. And so by 25 or 26, you're going to have no supply. So that'll give time for the growth that always has happened in the Sunbelt to catch up. And it just may take till 27 or 28, whatever it takes. Depends what happens to the economy. People putting their head in the sand about supply. The reason cap rates used to be higher in the Sun Belt is because how cheap and easy it is to add supply and how cheap and easy it is for me to move from being a renter to a buyer. And that's still true, but the pandemic kind of interrupted things and you know we haven't had a recession since 09. 
It really sounds like a lot of the kind of dr set dressing is about to fall away a bit in the next two years or so, from what you're saying. Well, I mean, people who bought in 21 and uh, the beginning of 22 that are carrying those apartments at the price they paid for them, you know, they're, they're down at least 20% or more. And if they use 60% leverage, they've lost half their equity, but they haven't written them down. If they buy, have short-term debt, floating rate debt, they're going to have a problem. I mean, 17 in the last 20 years, there has been out-migration in That's That growth is real. It's just that the supply is so ubiquitous that in the past, it's been it's been able to overbuild those markets, and it just hasn't happened yet, or it's happening now. So that's why you spent a record amount in New York City then? We like New York a lot and it's the strongest market in the country right now. San Francisco's been struggling, you know, because of the work from home um, and um, the government policies here have been really difficult. And uh, we feel it's coming back, but it's gonna take longer here. People always say that uh, investors are shying away from New York because it is quote unquote, you know, a political basket case and regulation. And it doesn't sound like that's the case. It doesn't sound like New York should be that scared of Sunbelt. Well, people are very fearful of regulatory environments, right? Because they've been burned by it. And so you have to know how to navigate those regulatory environments and know where to play. So having new construction in New York and having an agreement with the city on what is market rate and what is affordable protects you from these um, regulatory changes. In California, it's which community you're in makes a big difference. Whether you're in San Francisco or we just bought a very large property in Daly City, which is a, a much more conservative town where most of the residents are single family homeowners. So understanding how to navigate that, but the regulatory environment is what makes people so much money in real estate. It's because it's so hard to build anything or create anything uh, and the supply is limited, and if you can get something that's valuable, then it, it tends to do well over time because you're not going to be stuck with so much more supply and, and, and somebody building something new. What was going on in the Sun Belt is people were buying 20-year-old properties for more than I could build a new one for. We're speaking, um, you know, 1.30 p.m. on Eastern time on Friday afternoon, 10.30 a.m. your time over on the other side of the coast. Do you think that something might happen over the weekend? I mean, you said that it's not ending here or that there's not, well, there's no confidence that it's ending here when we talk about First Republic and we've seen what's happened with the shares on PacWest, for example. I mean, are you predicting that something could happen in the next short term? Is that how you're operating? <laughs> I know you work from worst case scenario. So what's the worst case scenario here? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what could happen. Um, I like, I mean, Jamie Dimon hopefully knows a lot more than I do. And he says things are going to be fine. So I, I believe him. I think the government is prepared to step in, step up and prevent, you know, runs on banks all over the country, you know, so and they've shown they're willing to do that. I feel like there's a lot of smart people um, in the government and, you know, they've made some mistakes, but they're doing the best they can, and I, I, I have confidence we'll get through it, whatever. I'd much rather be in the U.S. than any other country in the world. Where will we see the big announcements from 
from Carmel in the next, say, six months or so? I know you've just closed the fund, but um, where where will we expect to see the news coming out of? Well, you know, we're all very much uh, ground up um, shop, and we have offices in each of the markets we operate in, and they have to find deals that meet our criteria, and it's very hard to do that. So, um, but we found, you know, a very large deal we just bought in uh, Daly City, 3,000 units, and we, I'm absolutely thrilled with that transaction. So it's going to take a combination of finding a fourth seller, and hopefully we win it at a price we like. Um, I have a feeling we're not going to see much in the next six months. It might be more next year. A forced seller it doesn't sound like there's that many of those around. Right, and if there is, then there seems to be buyers that will pay more than us. But occasionally we we get one. I think people need to think through long term, and, and and don't get too panicked, and just make sure you set yourself up that you can handle rates keep going up or inflation being around for a while or that there's a big recession and that you have a necessary reserves and capability to get through what the world might throw at you. Um, and that's that's our approach. And you, you're never going to know. I mean, this whole thing could be over in a year and everything's back to normal for all I know. I don't know. That's Ron Zeff. He's the CEO of Carmel Partners. Before him, you heard from Shlomi Ronan, the managing partner of Decal Capital. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening. I've left links to various stories on this subject in our show notes.